Alice Gretchen, welcome to Curio City. Thank you, Lauren DeLary. I'm so thrilled to be here. Hey, Curious Cuties. Welcome to Curio City. Today's guest is Alice Gretchen. She's an actress, author, and self-proclaimed philosophical hedonist. Discover the pivotal moments that led her to embrace a path of philosophical nihilism and hedonism. Explore her diverse experiences as a playboy bunny and creator on OnlyFans. And unravel the intersections of spirituality and pleasure in her unconventional journey. From challenging cultural norms to finding balance in a life guided by curiosity and pleasure, this conversation is a captivating exploration of love, identity, and the pursuit of fulfillment. Get ready for a candid and spicy conversation that goes beyond the surface to uncover the layers of Alice Gretchen's unaccountable and multifaceted life. Can you share a pivotal moment or realization that led you to step away from organized religion and embrace philosophical nihilism and hedonism Mm. right from the get? I'm going straight into it. Love it. Love it. Um, A moment. Okay. So I'm just going to go with the first moment that's coming to me. I would say that the first time I realized that peace and love and wholeness for me were found through my physical senses was when I was about 19 or 20. At that time, I still identified as like a follower of Christ. Um, Looking back now, I would have probably defined myself as a progressive Christian if that term had been in my awareness then. Um, But I was doubting. I was deep in the throes of like, oh, you know, like, what if this is all for nothing? What if I'm being so good and pure and it's like all for nothing because God's not actually real? Um, I remember the first time that I had a moment that would eventually lead to what I would call philosophical nihilism and hedonism, um, which to me is just finding meaning and purpose and pleasure through my body, through my senses, um, believing that nothing matters inherently. Uh, I Mm. was getting high for the first time with weed. And I was in Sedona, Arizona. I was with my brother and one of my best friends. And we, it was the first time I'd ever done a drug. And uh, I remember being really paranoid at first that the hotel that we were staying, was going to smell the, the, the cannabis, the herb. And I remember we went out onto the balcony and we were staring into this canyon and the sky was so star studded. It just looked like someone had taken a blue velvet pin cushion and put diamond pins in just the most, I'd never seen the stars like that, especially mm-hmm. in an altered state. And I was so I could cry. It was so beautiful. And I remember as the effects were like kicking in, it was the first time that I could think of since early childhood that I did not feel anxiety. Mm. And because faith to me was just constant confusion and anxiety. And Mm -hmm. I'd smoked this little plant, um, which God, because I believed in God then, God put on this earth for me to enjoy. And uh, I'll just I'll just keep using the God verbiage because that was still in my my lexicon back then. Mm-hmm. I figured if God made this plant and he gave me um, neurological receptors, uh, cannabinoid receptors 
um, to engage with it and respond to it and have a relationship with it. And if this plant was giving me a sense of peace and that I'd never known before, and it was allowing me to see the physical material world um, that I was experiencing through my senses, my heightened senses, the way the night smelled, the, the way the stars just glittered and the way the owls hooted, all of that, that to me was what I would call a holy experience. And Mm. as I digested and processed it later, I realized it was all through my body. It's not out there. There's nothing mystical out there. I don't think, um, I experience every, every sense of peace, pleasure, joy, and love through the people in my life who I experienced through my body, through my ears, mm-hmm. my eyes, my, my touch, um, and through nature. <laughs> uh, so sensuality, pleasure, hedonism. Um, and I think that they get a really bad rep. And the nihilistic part is just like, oh, wow, nothing really matters. There's no... I In that moment, when I was like looking out at the canyon, even though I still believed in God, it was just like, fuck it, dude. Like, nothing matters. You know, like, this is yeah. this is it. You know, like it doesn't, if there is a God, he made me this way. And if he's not going to show up the way he knows I need him to show up in order to keep going in this belief system with him, fuck it. Nothing matters. I'm okay. Mm. I'm going to learn how to love me without any external validation from this alleged being who up until this point and a little bit beyond just caused me uh, suffering. Um, my relationship yeah. to this being caused me suffering because I don't think anything was actually causing me suffering because it's not there. Um, yeah. But I, my belief in it caused me so much suffering. And so I, mm-hmm. I'd say that's the pivotal moment for me was just being so awakened in my body, in my senses and experiencing a lack of anxiety and realizing it's all the body. <laughs> um, there's no, there's nothing outside of me. There's nothing out there. It's just me and these beautiful senses that I get to experience awe through. Mm, I love that. It's like one of the, it kind of reminds me of one of my three tenets, which is the only thing we can really know is our own consciousness. And I feel like mm-hmm. in a, another way that I would interpret that is like, yeah, m- the way I'm my consciousness of like what I'm experiencing, like my feel, like what I'm feeling, what I'm smelling. Um, so I definitely relate to the idea of like spirituality through like self, like just, just, uh, your own consciousness, your own experiences and senses. Um, and I love how you, you put that. It's crazy that you had felt <laughs> anxiety, like, all the way in your life until that point. And I I would guess it has something to do with the kind of contradictions that you found in religion. And so for mine, similar to ours, when you find like a contradiction in something that's supposed to, that supposedly is perfect or um, upheld as like the ultimate truth, but you find that there are some like gaps in that truth it's very unnerving because like what what are you supposed to do with that so throw out everything are you supposed to hold some things if you're supposed to hold some things but also believe everything's supposed to be true at the same time it's like how Mm -hmm. can you not have anxiety living in your body Mm -hmm. very much so that that's that sums up my own inner dilemma pretty perfectly um but yeah Mm -hmm. i think i didn't even know i had anxiety until in that moment i realized 
I don't feel tense or afraid right now. I didn't realize the knot that I had become accustomed to that like kept going up and down between my stomach and my chest and like would lock my jaw up at night. I didn't know I was so used to it by then. Yeah. I I wasn't even aware that I was anxious until I wasn't anymore. And it's not like I became a chronic pothead after that. Like I didn't, I don't (laughs) think I smoked weed again for months, but it was just such a gift. Mm -hmm. That experience was Mm -hmm. such a gift because I was like, this feeling is possible. How do I get there? How do, what do I need to let go of? What do I need to do more of to yes. not exist in a fear state anymore? <laughs> yeah. It helped, it helped show you, show you the way, but it's not that you then relied on the substance to get you to feel that way. You're like, Oh, this feeling, this state of being is possible. Mm-hmm. It's just, I I now know that it is possible. So how do I get there mentally what things do I need to change in my life in order to be able to experience this and just a basically a sober mind yeah totally (laughs) okay so um in I know you have explored spirituality you know whenever you were like okay I'm not really believing in religion now or Christianity so much I'm not necessarily following that I do know a part of your story is like you know you did explore various spiritual paths um and I'm curious what lessons that you learned that shaped your current beliefs whenever you were kind of on that spiritual trial era, like that era of your life, what lessons you learned and yeah, if, if it has shaped your practices or anything now. Yes. So, um, I guess the, the, uh, to back up a little bit, my, my, I'm learning that I need to start, um, defining what I mean when I say that I'm not spiritual, because I'm learning that this word, the way I use it, which is a more dictionary definition, is not the way that I'm that I'm understanding. A lot of people use it. A lot of people seem to use the word spiritual to describe a journey of inner transformation and growth. Whereas for mm. me, the way I use it is like a literal belief in spirits, and uh, it usually has. Um, faith-based connotations to, to me. And and again, like if, I don't know, there's lots of different definitions for it, but, um, that said, I think for me, the types of spiritual paths that I explored from the time that I freed myself from Christianity and could actually explore freely without fear of hell, um, a lot of it was an Eastern mysticism and philosophy. Taoism was my favorite. Um, Mm -hmm. But to kind of answer your question, where it led me now is I realized no matter what spiritual practice I was exploring or learning about or trying to engage with, because I really was desperate for some sort of spiritual framework to fill the void that Christianity left in my life. I really wanted some sense of, so I, I really wanted a sense of purpose and meaning again that I lost when I lost my faith. And I've now learned, I found it myself in my own way, but I would say that my dabblings in spirituality taught me to recognize when I was lying to myself. And that's what I carry with me today. I know when I'm just really trying to make myself believe something that I actually don't. I know um, through the experience of trial and error, I know when I'm, um, telling myself things that are not actually true to me. I know when I'm, I, I, I'm my own (laughs) best bullshit radar. Like I know, I know Mm -hmm. when I'm 
tricking myself or pretending. And uh, for a long time, I was scared to trust myself. Um, and I always felt like there was something wrong with me for not having like a spiritual gene or whatever, when most, mm. most humans are spiritual or would identify with that word, you know, whatever it might mean to them. Self-growth. Now, do you mean the physical spiritual gene? Because I know you've talked about <laughs> that there's an actual spiritual gene that people have and some people don't. Yeah, so it's a theory. Um, a, a geneticist okay. named Dean Hamer calls it the God gene. Its actual name is VMAT2. And yeah, he argues, he presents a really compelling case for this theory in a book called The God Gene. Um, and there's lots of holes anyone can poke through it. Um, just like I think there's holes that a lot of people like to validate a spiritual practice with science and pe some people disregarded the pseudoscience. I think the same could be applied to a lot of things. Scientists disagree with each other all the time, but so mm -hmm. we don't need to get into those weeds, but, um, but yes, I do think that it's a combination of genetic assortment that will predispose one or not toward a capacity to even have faith or a sense of being tapped into the universe, um, God, divinity, whatever verbiage you want to use, no matter what synonyms people have used for that abstract um, oneness, deity, whatever, it's never been real for me. Um, people are real for me. Animals are real for me. Stars are real for me. Hugs are real for me. That's where I find what people call God or divinity or mm. love or connectedness. I, I've never found it in the air. It's just, it's wonderful air. I love a good breeze, but it's, it's air. <laughs> and I'm not under no yeah. delusions that it's like something speaking to me or whatever that doesn't resonate for me um, the way that it does for many people. And I've learned to uh, really embrace and appreciate that just like I cannot be spiritual, spiritual people can't not be spiritual. And mm. that understanding again, tracing it just to biology, um, really is what allows me to have a lot of compassion for myself and for spiritual people. Um, and I wish we could all just be more accepting of, of it and just be like, oh yeah, some people just aren't capable of, of that and that's okay. Um, but I observe both camps, the hardcore atheist secular folks and the hardcore spiritual religious folks like they really want to believe that faith is a choice and that one can just mm -hmm. choose whether or not. And I just don't observe evidence for that at all. I think we have control and agency over what we learn about and what we choose to educate ourselves about. But at the end of the day, at least for me, again, I know when I'm lying to myself and um, I don't want anyone to lie to themselves. So I, am, I accept that some people they're just always going to be spiritual, even if they wish that they weren't, they can't. And that's okay. That's part of their journey to self-acceptance. Do I wish that there was less faith-based stuff in the world? Duh. We wouldn't have half the wars that we do mm -hmm. if people didn't believe in things that weren't real. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's, and one can easily counter argue, oh, well, look at, you know, secular atheist Russia, you know, or communist China, which is atheist. It's like humans are the problem. And the solution. Right. I just view us all as a mixed bag. But the way you began about the word spiritual, um, I kind of want to circle back to that just for a second, because mm -hmm. I, as you were kind of saying, you're like, well, I think 
the word has kind of transformed a little bit. Honestly, people have different um, interpretations of what the word spiritual means. And as Mm -hmm. you're kind of, you've been learning maybe a different uh, interpretation of spirituality. Is it something you feel like you don't, you still don't want to claim as a word because a word is a word and you don't want to be thrown into the camp. I'll say just for myself, just, you know, in my, my personal experience is that I have had a hard time embracing the word spiritual, like saying I'm a spiritual person. Anytime I would, it would feel a little forced just because I didn't feel, I didn't want anyone to like assume I was aligning that with any specific set of beliefs, not even like set of practices. Like I didn't want someone to hear I'm spiritual and think, what does that mean? Tarot? What does that mean? Crystals? What does that mean? Like I didn't want to be thrown into any camp. And that's probably from my trauma of being like forced into like these boxes and identities that ended up crushing me um, or I felt crushed under. And so I felt in a way like very, it's been harder for me to like embrace being spiritual back to your like original statement on that. How does that basically, how does that make you feel that it's kind of a different objective word these days? I think there's still much, uh, there's still too much ambiguity around the word for me to feel comfortable using it to describe myself. I think Mm -hmm. um, at least among my social circles and the people that I tend to interact with the most or observe the most, the word spiritual generally implies a belief in spirits, a belief in souls, a belief that consciousness exists outside of our bodies. And I don't observe mm-hmm. uh, as for that. I think consciousness comes from our brains um, or from cells in general. Like I think trees, I, I'm a crazy person who thinks trees have consciousness. Like I think everything has consciousness. It has energy. Mm-hmm. I think it has consciousness. I don't think all mm-hmm. consciousnesses our consciousness I. I don't think it's the same. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the plural of consciousness is, but I don't think, I don't mean to suggest that my cat's consciousness is the same as mine or patchouli's is the same as yours or the trees is the same as the rocks. It's like a, it's almost like the difference between like consciousness and what someone, some may describe as ego. Like I I could say that like a tree has consciousness, but it doesn't have ego, like doesn't have Mm self-serving thoughts. Um, I think it does. It's just kind of a, yeah, you think so? Well, we just, I, there was some study that came out recently that said that a mother tree will be selective about where she sends her nutrients and she will send them first to her own children uh, yeah. before she'll share it with other trees. So to me, I would argue that that could indicate that trees have preferential mm-hmm. self-serving because it's survival. I view, I view most things through the lens of... Um, I'm not an evolutionary biologist. I'm just a hobby studier of it, but it makes, it's what makes the most sense. We're all hobbyists here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's a lens that, that helps me understand life that in a way that just makes sense and requires no belief for, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because it's all just evolving hypotheses and theories. And it's like, I think that there's a lot of evidence to support that life wants to survive. It wants to live. Mm -hmm. And so everything that exists in life is trying to survive in whatever way. And I think that survival is the ego. And I think the ego has mm-hmm. become a villainized word. And I, I very much uh, resist what a lot of spiritual teachings like to say about overcoming the ego or transcending the ego. It's like, no, no, you're in a body right now. Believe whatever you want about what comes next. You're in a body right now. And your ego is here to keep you safe. Your ego cares what people think because social 
coherence is crucial to our survival as sapiens. And so like, I don't, I don't like the shitty rep that ego often gets. Now I understand colloquially what a lot of people mean when they're like, Oh, he has such a big ego or, Oh, she needs to get over her ego, whatever it is. Like I get that. Um, to me, I would describe that more as arrogance, not ego, but that's just yeah, how ego I would use the word. In the spiritual world, like you said, spiritual teachers, ego is like, it, it's different. It's not just a, yeah, like some guys got too much confidence, whatever. It's not, it, we're not talking yeah. about that type of ego. Yeah, I completely, I, I, I love, I love your point of view. And I, I agree with you, honestly, survivalism. And I think that religion is a survival mechanism for a lot of people, you know, where they're like trying to live <laughs> forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, <Yes>. so <laughs> at the end of the day, it, it, it is a survival mechanism for those who believe that they could live beyond the grave, beyond death. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's just an interesting idea. I love that. Um, and yeah, so this, this is why you're the perfect person to talk to about this, these sort of things, because <laughs> you're coming from a different perspective where, I mean, you're, you, you care so much about like definition and the words and like the proof behind things. And that's why, I mean, so do I, um, but you, you just have a way of speaking about it. That just excites me. So, um, thanks for like being mm -hmm. able to go there. <laughs> well, thank you. Okay. But I do want to talk about curiosity because we talked about it as yes. spirituality. Um, I, I did, I said it was like my spirituality. Um, and I know you and I have kind of talked about that a little bit. It kind of resonated with you, not necessarily that you identify that as spirituality, but you understood where it's coming from. Um, totally. But it does seem to be like a central theme in your life and in like all, all of the journeys you've been on. Um, so I'm curious how, like how is maintaining that insatiable desire, that curiosity um, to know more? How has that impacted your, your personal and professional life? That's a really good question. Um, hey cuties, I recently started my journey with Peace Love Hormones, and let me tell you, it's been a game changer. These herbal tinctures are crafted with the finest organic ingredients and have been used for centuries to support women's health. From digestive health to hormone balance, they've got it all covered. There are three to choose from, Soothe, Bitters, and Sleepy. Personally, I'm taking Soothe, which is designed to help regulate women's hormones and cycles. I've taken it every morning right away and have already felt and seen the positive impact because my hormonal acne I was getting on my chin has disappeared. It's also like a holistic hug for your entire system. The owner is actually a friend of mine. Her name is Maddie Miles, and you may remember her from an episode talking all things herbs and hormones, and I can personally vouch for her unwavering quality standards. But don't just take my word for it. Her website is chocked full of lengthy testimonials raving about their incredible experiences with Peace Love Hormones. And I've got a code for you. You can simply click the link in the description or use code CURIOCITY for 10% off. That's CURIOCITY for 10% off. Peace Love Hormones. In my personal life, I think my curiosity drives a lot of people crazy, but in a way that they still love me for. Mm. <laughs> I think that I, um, I think that it, I remember one dear friend put it as no answer will ever be enough for you. Will it? And I was like, no, I, I guess not. Like, cause there's always, there's always more to learn. Like we thought we knew everything about astronomy for, you know, millennia. And then a new discovery 
completely erases everything we thought we knew. And so I just think that I, I we don't know what we don't know about. And so, of course, there's an, an infinite limit to curiosity. And as someone who's just, I'm, I'm just naturally curious like yourself. Uh, I, I don't, I couldn't shut that part of my brain off if I tried. I can't, I don't know if it's a dopamine thing or what, but like, I, I just, I'm all, I enjoy, I get a sense of deep pleasure and satisfaction from the search. And I know that like, there's all those cliched adages like, um, oh, it's not about the destination, it's the journey and, and whatever. And that, that could be a way of putting it. Sure, I wouldn't resist that. But like, for for me and my own verbiage, um, it's, it's part of what makes me want to be alive and not take myself out is the fact that I get to learn about whatever I want. And I don't have to be scared about it anymore. Um, and I... I like that. So in my personal life, it definitely plays out in the sense that like, I will, I've, I've been, I've gotten a lot better at this, but like I can badger something to death, (laughs) Um, but, and poke holes through a lot of things, not because I'm trying to be unkind or that I'm trying to be a bubble burster. I'm not, I, I'm more often than not, I'm genuinely trying to understand how someone arrives at a particular conclusion I will get prickly if I feel like they're trying to push that conclusion on me. That's where, okay, now I am poking back from a more like fuck you place. You know, there is, yeah. it's not so, I'm just innocently curious. And it's like, oh no, if, if we're playing that game, don't even try me. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, I can, I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect and guileless or anything like that. I know, I know when I'm being snarky and I know when I'm being, um, deliberately, uh, whole pokey, but I also know when I'm not being that way. And I know when I am being earnest and sincere and I don't expect anymore for people to be able to tell the difference because that's an internal motivation that Mm. I need to check in with myself about and that I'm responsible for. I can choose to share it with people if I want, but nine times out of 10, it doesn't, they don't care anyway. They're just going to see me however, uh, they need to. So that's okay. I've made peace with it in my personal life from people, um, don't always appreciate my curiosity professionally. Uh, I would say it's, 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 you know, it's a double-edged sword (laughs) professionally and, Mm -hmm. and personally to be a curious person is, you know, and as I'm sure many of your listeners know, because, um, professionally, uh, I've mostly been an actress for my adult life and it's like any creative industry it's full of oddballs and questioners and rebels and heretics. And uh, yet, at least in the television world, which is very different than the film world, um, and I've mostly worked in television, they want puppets. They do not want questioners. They, they don't care. And, and I know this is, does not apply to all shows, all showrunners, producers, etc. But my experience within network television was that they do not welcome in uh, questions. They don't welcome challenge. They don't really care about acting. They care about hiring the best puppet to fulfill and perform the role the way they envision it. And I can't tell you how many times I got in trouble during press tours or interviews for answering honestly and having the PR person be like, no, 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 you can't say that. Like, you have to say this. I'm like, I thought the question was for me, Alice Gretchen, the actress behind the role. I didn't realize I was still in character or that I was still expected to perform right now. Mm. And that was my Mm -hmm. own naivete, but that's, 
that's um that's common you know and they call it media yeah. training for a reason it's to train you to be a good spokesperson for the network um mm-hmm. or for the show and whatever value system the show is trying to push and i uh i challenged a lot of those i'm an abc family show several ABC family shows, um, which is related to Disney and which, you know, promotes like family values and self-love. And I don't know how they can say that when they have 12 year olds with like so much makeup on, they look like Vegas showgirls, but okay. Disney channel. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would answer for instance, so dumb just to give people a dumb, stupid example. Um, I was once asked, like, how do I get my hair looking so good? And I was like, oh, a lot of it's genetic, but I'm also a big fan of Brazilian blowouts because it saves me so much time and my hair's not frizzing. Like, you, you can't do that. It promotes chemicals. I'm like, do you see the face of makeup you put on me every day on your show? You think that doesn't have chemicals? And the hairspray that I'm like, what? I So my, inc- my, my curiosity became a problem because I would challenge. I would want to understand, like, well, why? One time I remember I was working on a show and production made a whole fucking video to show the makeup artist exactly how Alice's lip gloss should be and shouldn't be. And I was just like, why? Like, but who, or I don't know. I just always had so many questions. I've never been good at just arbitrarily obeying anything that doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. Even though one, I could also argue that, no, I, I very much was. And that's probably where, uh, because in Christianity, yeah, it's just obey and comply and don't question, but also use the brain God gave you and question as long as you arrive at the right answers. So I think there is part of me right. that, that struck a lot of nerves for too. But yeah, personally and professionally, curiosity, people either, as I'm sure you know, they either love it about you and are utterly enchanted and think of you as like such a childlike, wondrous person. And what a fun friend I get to have, you know, this curious person or, and it can be both sometimes, how annoying this person's just constantly poking holes through my values. And this person just cannot leave well enough alone. Why is she stirring trouble again? And it's like, uh, I, whatever I'm, I'm at peace with myself. I love myself. I love my curiosity and I'm here to have fun. Um, and if, if people can't hang with it, if it feels too aggressive for them, totally get it. That's fine. Like go be comfortable and keep your life meaningful the way you need to preserve yourself. I'm very into self-preservation. Um, so it's like preserve yourself. If, if you, if being around too much, uh, too many questions is unsettling for you and does not give you a sense of joy, wonder, and peace, then, then cool. You don't need to vilify me on the way out though is all I would right. ask. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I actually want to, it's like a, a point in my self growth and self love that I want to be a lot more outwardly curious. Um, cause mm. my questions were like, yeah, as both of us, like we're kind of vilified. Um, and I have like basically studied social interactions to know when I don't ask questions because something means too much to someone. So even though curiosity Mm -hmm. and asking questions would bring me so much joy, it would frustrate somebody else and take away their joy about their God or their set of beliefs or whatever it is that I'm like, this interaction isn't going to end up not fun for either of us if I ask questions because they, they don't want that. Um, and on one hand, I think that's great that I've learned that I've like been in enough experiences to where I've like 
learned how to read that. But then at the same time, I think how long of my life am I going to live to just like not ask people questions because I don't want to like upset them. Um, And so it is that balance of like trying to navigate being real to myself and also realizing, understanding how much energy I even have. Like, do I, do I have Mm. enough energy to go into this conversation and perhaps have a negative reaction from them? No. Okay. Then I'm not going to ask (laughs) questions. (laughs) I'm just going to like leave it be. Um, And luckily I I can imagine those who are very curious um, and similar to us, those who have a lot of energy, that would be very hard. I don't, I don't feel I, I run off of a lot of energy. I have a very limited amount of energy that I am given in a day or week or monthly basis. (laughs) And I, I'm very much on that preservation um, train with you. And I can imagine though, somebody who is like an extrovert and is curious, very curious, or has just a lot of extra energy and is curious that that could be very difficult. Um, so I'm assuming you're probably more on my side of things, or do you find yourself full of energy to go about those conversations, no matter the reaction? Definitely not, no matter the reaction. I found I'm definitely more, uh, we're, we're, I think we're both self-prez fives in the Enneagram speak. Yeah, I think um, so. For yeah. me, it's just trial and error, time and experience. And I suppose the nutshell word I would use for it is maturity. Like just mm. as I matured um, and learned how to recognize the facial cues or body language that told me someone is, they, this person is no longer interested in having this discussion, um, then it then it was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, my joy doesn't need to come at the expense of theirs in this moment. Yeah. Sometimes it does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it mm-hmm. fucking does. And I'll own that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, I feel like those times for me anyway are more rare. And usually yeah. only when like, no, like I I need to say this for myself because otherwise mm-hmm. I'm going to feel like I'm not honoring my truth. I'm letting myself be a pushover. I'm letting myself be Mm -hmm. misunderstood or mischaracterized Mm -hmm. and misrepresented. I try to be very mindful and intentional about which battles I choose to pick and which I choose to like let slide. Like I don't need to pick every battle and I don't need people Mm -hmm. to understand me. And it's such a gift when they do. Mm -hmm. But um, I think through just time and maturity, I've really come to peace with, um, yeah, being mischaracterized and being yeah. misunderstood. And that's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not mm. for everybody. Not everyone's for me. And I, I just try to advocate for us all being okay with that more. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I also don't need people to be, I just accept like, Oh, I see these are just tribal things at play and identity slash ego things at play. And that's fine. I have mine and she's keeping me yeah. safe right now. And that's, I love that. <laughs> Yeah. And I've actually found them really like on the other side of it, like a lot of people love curious people. A lot of people want you to keep asking questions about them. I genuinely, I feel like I am so good at social interactions and in parties because I have let myself be curious. And you realize you actually have amazing questions when you just allow your your mind to just follow the curiosity of someone speaking about their job or like what they do or their family or where they're from. And then you just, another question pops in your mind and you ask them, they're going to fucking love you probably like that. That person is going to be like, wow, like 
No, everybody likes to talk about themselves. Everyone wants to just go on and on about themselves. They love somebody who's hearing them, listening to them, understanding them and, you know, shooting it back at them. Like they just love to be mirrored. That's just humanity. So I think just to end all that on like a positive note, I think it's like a wildly positive thing for so many reasons to be curious. But on the social end of things, really, it's like, I would say eight out of time, eight out of 10 times in a social interaction, somebody's going to fucking love that you're a super curious person. And that's just, I agree. I think, and I definitely get that feedback more often than not, um, which, which yeah. makes it safe for me because, and I know you can relate to this too, being on the more introverted side of things um, and naturally curious gives us a great coping tool for the times when we have to be social. Cause our curiosity allows us to stay hidden or like selectively out with what we feel comfortable with while also being, um, socially accepted, likable, perceived and, as social. Yeah. 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 So it, there's a lot of wins to it. I fallen back on that a lot lately. I, I recently tapped into that. I'm like, wait a second. I don't have to talk about myself actually because <laughs> I genuinely no. <laughs> I generally I generally have in the past talked about myself to make other people like comfortable I'm like oh like I'll cut myself open and share too vulnerably about myself just to make others feel comfortable and I'm like wait there's another mm -hmm. way to go about this I can actually just ask them about them and that works just as well but anyway I digress that's like this is a social <laughs> social lessons with Al Alice and Lauren. Um, but okay, I do want to talk about uh, your uh, about unaccountable, uh, which is your blog on Substack. Um, and I yeah, I just wanted you to kind of dive into like the themes and messages that you aim to convey uh, through your uncensored musings. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I. I've been blogging, I think since 2009, unaccountable is on, it's on Substack. That's where I found, I like to blog and it's the only place where I'm not worried about pleasing an algorithm. So my, my curiosity, if you will, can jump around all over and I'll write about, um, women's health issues for one blog post. Then I'll write a critique of faith-based, uh, appeasements to human horror in another one. Um, I'll write about political things. I'll write about cancel culture. I'll write about uh, it, tips for being an adult content creator. Like I jump around all over the place on my blog because it's mine. And it's a reflection of all the varied things that I'm interested in, where I, mm -hmm. I'm not worried about losing... Uh, I'm not worried about confusing an algorithm or losing mm -hmm. followers. It's like people have to click to subscribe. It's free, but people still have to click to subscribe if they want to get my blog posts in their inbox. Um, and anyone can read it if you just go to the, to the website. But yeah, like I, I, it makes me feel a lot more free to share all the different facets of, of my mind there. And lately I've been um, writing a lot more uh, that's more openly critical of spirituality, actually. And I didn't plan on it. And it, it's been interesting. My next blog post directly addresses my intentions for doing so. I'm still working on it because I feel like a lot of feedback I've gotten recently, people seem to be really shocked. They're used to me critiquing religion. They're not used to me critiquing mm. spirituality. I've been doing it, like I said, since 2009. And I'll link some really old blog posts. I haven't changed in that regard, but I think it's new to a lot of the newer audience that I've accrued over the, the more recent years. And so I think that a lot of people are really thrown off by that, hmm. where I feel like I've been super consistent in this, but I am, I'm, I'm, I'm reminding myself, no, this is new to them. And 
with uh, what I've learned it, since, you know, the 10 plus years I've been blogging, it's like, oh, I, I now think I can say the same thing to a new audience in a different way. Hopefully that will um, clarify some things because it's easy for me to forget um, that what's obvious to me is not obvious to other people and vice versa. What's obvious to them is not obvious to me. And so where I get frustrated as a writer is people have short attention spans. And I find mm. that I waste so many, so much word count trying to disclaim and define the words I'm using just to appease the people who don't readily see my perspective. And mm. similar to like what you were saying about finding that balance between being true to yourself and knowing when like, maybe that's uh, not a battle you need to pick or a, a clarification you need to make. Um, mm. I'm trying to find that through my writing uh, in a new way because it, it is reaching a new audience and I, um, and I'm grateful for it, but I, I do think that I don't owe them anything, but I would like to offer a deeper explanation mm. for where I'm coming from. Um, right. because I'm tired of disclaiming. I'm so tired of wasting a thousand words per blog post or article, um, defining what I mean and hashtagging not all spiritual people, not all Christians, not all atheists. <laughs> I'm so tired of like, that should just be obvious. Uh, to me, that's yes. an example of what is just fucking obvious. Does anyone look around at the world? Clearly we all believe yeah. and don't believe different things. And it feels patronizing for me as a writer to spell it out. But people really like that for some reason. They really like things. They really like the obvious spelled out. It makes me seem softer to them it actually doesn't land as condescending as I fear it will. It lands, the opposite lands as condescension to them, where I just assume that they understand we're all different. Um, I don't know. I, it's still confusing to me, Lauren, to be honest with you, but I'm like, I'm trying mm -hmm. to like, all right, well, clearly some part of my message is just not, is landing in a way that I don't intend. I don't owe them, but I would like to extend to them um, a deeper understanding if, if anyone's interested, you know, and like, I think I can do that. So, okay. I'm just yeah. going to write this one blog post. I can link it, reference it, send it to anyone. It's there. Just so my intentions yeah. are very clear and I no longer feel this obligation with every single post I write or wherever I write to constantly be disclaiming to appease the people who I think really are just not... Um, they either just want to fight or they just don't see what is obvious to me the way I don't see yeah. what's obvious to them. So it's like, okay. Well, <laughs> I think, I think that's a great idea. Kind of gets it off your chest. So you basically, if you have just one blog post, that's like in a way a disclaimer in and of itself, then yeah. hopefully that frees you in your writing to just say whatever you want to say. And if someone's like makes a comment, you could just be like, here you go. Like just yeah, send the other totally. one, like for <laughs> just like, you know, or like pin it at the, the, the bottom of, you know, your other writings yeah. be like for nuance, for disclaimer, That's a good or idea. whatever, yeah. you know, I and that way that. you get more reads anyway. Yeah, totally. Like, it keeps people on the site longer. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, I know it's not an algorithm, but keeps people on your site longer. That's always a good thing, right? I think so. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, 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 just hope, like, I, don't know. I just hope people are, are, um, that they want to be there. If they're there, I, I want them to be there because they want to be there. Um, I think I'd feel differently about it if I monetized my blog. I would be a lot sure. more concerned about pleasing um, the people who are affording my livelihood. You know, I think that's natural. But it, but right. writing for me, um, I've always, and this kind of goes off on a side thing, but like I'm of the opinion that your work should not be your pleasure. Um, 
for myself, this is because I don't ever want to resent what brings me joy. I don't want to feel like a slave mm-hmm. to my pleasure and work mm-hmm. just it's work for me. You know, do I enjoy my work? Yes. I like enjoying my work. I don't think people should be truly miserable with what they're doing. Like if, if it's an option, I, I know we're not all lucky enough to be able to pick and choose what jobs we may or may not have at any given time. I often, but I think that, um, writing, I love it so, so much that I never want to feel like I have to do it because it's what provides yeah. my income. So I make money other ways. And I, if my money, if my writing does bring in money, like my book, yeah, my book's not for free, but it's not my livelihood. You know, author Mm -hmm. writers are notoriously broken poor. I am no exception. So (laughs) if it's a good thing that I don't make money for my writing, because, um, you know, it's okay. It might pay my Verizon bill for the month. That's it. You know, good for me. (laughs) I love that. I love a royalty when it comes in, but it's not like, it's not a lot. And for me, monetizing my Substack would start making me feel like now I owe them. I have to deliver at least once a week and I have to sure. have a Q&A and I have to have like a, it would feel like work. And I want to write when I want to write. I'll share what I want to share. I have over a dozen different drafts that I'm working on at any given time, depending on where my mind is that day. Um, and uh, yeah, I really, that makes if, sense. if you... If you're someone that likes to think too hard, because I'm always told I think too hard. I'm sure you get this too. And so I say for unaccountable on the about page, I'm like, this is for people who like to think too hard about a lot of different things. (laughs) So if you don't like to think too hard, especially about answerless problems or questions, you're not going to like my blog. Don't even, um, (laughs) like, it's not for you. This is not a how-to blog that's going to give you a result. This is a let's ponder the imponderable and ask the unanswerable type of blog. So if you like that, cool, come over. If if that's not for you, please don't waste your time or mine. (laughs) Love that. Yes. No, I love that so much. Um, It actually leads me greatly into the next question or topic, really. You're also a playboy because you're talking about how you make money. You're a playboy bunny. Um, and you are a creator on OnlyFans and that's a way that, you know, you're able to kind of support yourself as well. And, um, you seem to be having a lot of fun doing that. Um, so (laughs) I want to, yeah, I want to like talk about it. I want to know how, you know, how the, um, your perspective actually on faith and spirituality, I know this is kind of random, but how that has influenced your experience as a Playboy Bunny and creator on OnlyFans? So uh, I very much understand an obvious correlation um, that people have and that I have within myself of being an adult content creator on Playboy and on OnlyFans, um, how it's very easily tied to me growing up in a very highly high demand expression of purity culture. And um, that to me is like an aside uh, because a lot of people grow up in purity culture and leave and don't fucking become OnlyFans creators or Playboy. <laughs> people love to say they like to conflate the two um, or say that I'm only a, a create an adult content creator because I grew up in purity culture and I'm clearly rebelling and whatever. And it's like, but plenty of people are on OnlyFans who did not grow up religiously and plenty of people who grew up religiously and left it do not do what I do. So yeah. there, yes, I could say that they're related Um, I, and I've said before that, uh, and I maintain that, um, learning to be comfortable in my body and to, um, 
freely be in my sensuality and to share myself and to self-objectify and invite myself to be objectified has been an incredible form of healing. It's all on my terms, though. I don't yeah. like being non-consensually objectified or sexually harassed. Um, that's not what I'm talking about when I say that I enjoy uh, being in control of my own objectification. That's different. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm going to monetize it. Why not? Personally, I think people are missing out on a great opportunity financially. Um, but that's just, you know, it's not for everyone. And I totally get that. Um, I think it was not for me in younger years. I don't think I would have been able to have the relationship to it that I do now. And I would not, mm. I may not have been as confident in my boundaries and knowing what I am and I'm not comfortable doing. Um, so the other part of what, what draws me to it is like, and <laughs> bear with me because I haven't gotten too many opportunities to talk about this out loud, um, before. So bear with me as I'm like, verbalizing my processes in real time. And you're the perfect person that I know I can do this with. Um, That's what we do. That's <laughs> what we do. Um, but mm -hmm. I think for me, there's, I've always felt a lot of compassion for so-called simps and incels. Mm. Incel means involuntary celibate. It's unfortunately got a really bad rep uh, because of a few people who either self-identified or were other identified as incels who did go commit egregious acts of violence, sex trafficking, mm. rape, murder. Um, I'm thinking of this one kid in Santa Barbara who like went on a spree, like killing girls, pretty girls, because they'd always ignored him and made fun mm. of him. And I, well, I obviously don't condone acts of violence like that or vengeance like that. When I read his manifesto, my heart broke for how much pain this kid had endured and how misunderstood he was and how socially awkward he was. He didn't know how to flirt. He didn't know mm -hmm. how to connect with women. He didn't know how to ask a girl out on a date or graciously handle if she reject, if she rejected him and it ended tragically. Um, but that, that's just one story of a, a, a notorious incel that stands out in my mind. And I feel I remember years ago in Hollywood when I would go out clubbing at night with girlfriends, um, which was rare. It's weird for me to uh, remember that. But like usually at like events, I'd get dragged along. It's like, all right, well, as long as I'm here, I knew that I had a certain power as a girl that was considered conventionally attractive to make a man feel a certain way to make him feel shitty about himself or to make him feel amazing about himself. And I recognized that power that I had and I did not take it lightly. And I knew that I could brighten someone's day by giving them a smile. That doesn't mean I want to go home with him, but it doesn't mean that I uh, have to I, it, it, it was a delicate dance that I had to learn within my own body, within my own mind of when is my smile safe to share and when is it not safe mm. to share? And I think most women go through this. You learn mm -hmm. like, nope, I have to be like walls up bitch mode because I don't want to be harassed. I don't feel safe or I just don't have the energy to deal today. When I do mm -hmm. have the energy to deal um, and I am in a place of like confidence and um curiosity and I can share that and I can trust myself to deflect anything that's unwanted, but also offer what I can and do want to offer. Mm -hmm. That makes me feel really good. And so doing making adult content, um, 
is just another avenue that I found I really enjoy connecting with people on. Like I think a lot of the men, not all, but a lot of the men who end up on OnlyFans or Playboy or Fansly or wherever they subscribe to get not just porn, but an, a connection. I don't offer porn, um, but I do offer connection. I actually really enjoy the chatting part of it. And I enjoy mm-hmm. an opportunity to make, I, I don't know if it, I'm not sure if it's that I personally attract a lot of men who work in tech and might fall on like an Asperger's autism spectrum, or if that demographic is the type who's mm. more likely to end up on a subscription site. I'm not sure which it is. Mm. could be a combination yeah. of both. But for whatever reason, most of my subscribers are in fields of tech. And a lot of them, uh, again, not all of them, but a lot of them are very lonely and uh, socially awkward and don't... Um, the attention that I might be able to give them. And yes, they're paying me for it. It's a service that I, I view as a service I'm providing. I'm providing company attention, flirtation, Mm. companionship, um, cities. I'm providing that they, that they might not get to see otherwise. I mean, anyone, anyone can watch free porn online. It's ubiquitous, Mm. but not everyone Mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. watch it. And also like have a conversation with the creator that leaves them, feeling better than their day started out. And yeah. I like I like being able to offer that in some way. And it kind of ties back to the epiphany I had in my early 20s of realizing like, oh, I as a pretty girl have a certain amount of power that can make men feel really good about themselves or really shitty about themselves. But when people tend, just in general, when they tend to feel good about themselves, it generally makes them nicer themselves and want to pass it mm-hmm. on, you know? And so it's like, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm not saying anything new or original here. Like it's, it's the, you know, prostitution is called, you know, the oldest profession. And it's also an old adage that like, that people like to roll their eyes at that a lot of men don't even pay prostitutes for the sex. They just want someone to talk to. I found that that mm-hmm. translate to modern contemporary sex work online. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, some some of them are just there for the photos or videos and they, you know, they just want to get their nut off. Cool. No judgment. I want to get my nut off too. Um, yeah. But like some <laughs> of them really are genuinely seeking someone to just get a shit about their day. Someone yeah. to follow up with and be like, how was your Christmas? How was it with your brother? Is he still sick? How are you? How did your, mm. you know, are you over your flu now? You know, they don't have anyone in real life, a lot of them, to mm-hmm. ask them these things that I think many of us take for granted. Mm-hmm. And so for me, being able to uh, offer that as a service, that it can be a win-win. I get to have some extra money and they get to have someone who uh, asks them those basic questions that they are not yeah. otherwise getting asked. And, um, yeah. or many of them, you know, maybe in the way or by the people that they wish would ask them that. So, yeah. um, so yeah, I, I, not to aggranda at the end of the day, like I understand a lot of people have very strong opinions about porn and online sex work and all these things. That's like a whole fucking thing, you know, but I am so confident in my own motives and my own intentions, my own boundaries yeah. I, yeah, a lot of people have a really miserable time, both as a creator and subscriber on OnlyFans or with anything, any type of online mm-hmm. porn or erotic, romantic stuff. A lot of people have shitty times on dating apps. I just don't, I don't know. For me, it's like, it can be what you make it. It is mm-hmm. what I care to make it. Um, 
I don't do anything I don't want to do. And uh, I encourage people to, to respect their boundaries too. And I'm not shy about mine. So I think that's what enables me to really have fun doing this work. It's fun for me to do photo shoots and play dress up and wear pretty lingerie and take it off. And it's fun for me to make money doing it. I have, there's a total play, um, dress up girly side of me that truly just enjoys doing this work. But there's also a deeper side of me that finds it very purposeful and gratifying in a way that I wasn't sure I'd, I'd find when I started doing it. But I definitely found where it's like, Oh, like, I believe this guy, like when he says that I really brightened his day, I think I did, you know, and it's like, that's a really good feeling. And, um, I, yeah, I I enjoy it. So people can judge and say what they want. I I get it. You know, I'm not a dummy. I get it. There's lots of strong arguments to, um, prohibit pornography and all this stuff. I just view it as it's an inevitability. Let's, uh, people are always going to find it. If we make it illegal, it's just going to go dark and then it's really going to be dangerous. And so I think, um, I understand a lot of the concerns people have about sex work and online sex work, but I think, I think a lot of them, they're not being fair and looking at it. They're being too absolutist in their critique about it. And not looking for the mm. exceptions and dare I say the social benefits of offering this as a service to men who would not get it otherwise. Men like that Santa Barbara kid who went on a murderous tirade because he just got so tired of being ignored by, by women. I'm not saying that that's okay what he did, but it's understandable to me why he did it. And mm. if there's any way that I might be able to contribute to helping an, a so-called incel or simp. I think these are such derogatory terms. I, I don't like mm, them. But yeah. if there's any way that I can help someone feel a little less angry, bitter, and violent, that's great for yeah. not just them and me, but society at large. And so I'm very much in favor of keeping sex work legal, safe, and yeah, all, all of that. Because a lot of these men, they're not going to get... They're, this is the only way they're going to get that attention. And yeah, um, that's just how life is. And I think it's naive and idealistic to, um, to assume otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a mutual, mutually beneficial for you and your, your fans. Okay. But you mentioned being uh, mostly hetero, uh, but on the sexuality spectrum, um, mm-hmm. so I want to talk about how has your, your sexuality played a role in your journey and your relationships? Mm. So I think I didn't even question my sexual identity until I was about 20. And, mm-hmm. um, I had such a crush on one of my, one of my girlfriends and I didn't, know it to be a crush then because I just assumed like Mm. oh I'm straight of course like I wouldn't want to date a girl um but I just I got like tongue-tied and gibberish like whenever she was near me the way that I would with around a boy I had a crush on Mm -hmm. and so I think where I've landed at now is like I am I, I I can have crushes on girls 
I've described myself as bisexual, but not bi-relational. Like I still mm. want to date men. I don't want to date or be in a relationship with a woman. I've never had that desire. And of course I've psychoanalyzed myself to death about this. Well, like why? Is that just programming? <laughs> yeah. Is that just, you know, it's like, of course yeah. <laughs> I, I let myself ask that and interrogate myself about it. It's like, oh, I just, I would miss the D too much, frankly. Like, like yeah. I, I can date a guy and not miss the body of a girl. I could not date a girl yeah. and not miss the body of a man. Like I just yeah. I fucking love men. I love their energy. I love their voices. I love their hair, their arms, their penis. Like I, I love men. Um, and that just, here, here. But I also, I like to kiss girls. I've enjoyed kissing girls. I like flirting with girls, dancing with girls. I like to be sensual with girls, but I don't want to like date one or bring her home for Christmas. Like it's just not yeah. been, it's just, I don't know why I, I don't, I don't, interrogate myself about it anymore. I've just accepted like, oh yeah, because it's a spectrum and here's where I'm on it. I'm not like yeah. completely uninterested in women, but I'm still very much mostly interested in men. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like by some people are like, oh well then you're you're bisexual. And it's like sure. I it's not like a label I feel you care any way about. about. Like I don't yeah. yeah, it's like I don't identify as like bi it's not in my bio or anything like that it's like but and I think if people asked me I would just say I'm straight like usually because I don't know I I don't want to misrepresent what bisexuality means to a lot of people sure um I have a lot of people in my life who who do uh say that they're bisexual and it is in their bio and and like it's it's a it's something for them that means something different than what it would mean for me and I think that's theirs is the more popular understanding of that term so I'm happy to like not use it it's like I don't I don't I'm not trying to confuse it even sexuality even more than I think we're already as a culture confused by (laughs) so yeah um so yeah I wouldn't identify as bisexual but the the term by curious is one that i i think is probably more apt for me it's like yeah curious i'm open but uh uh i love i love men, men. in particular yeah. i love my man so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay have you noticed uh any of your subscribers uh, are are they all men i've gotten a woman that i know of only once I'm sure okay. that there are more, but sometimes either they don't say hi, or sometimes I've noticed a girl will subscribe, but she's like another fellow creator subscribing to my page to learn how I run things. Not because she's like a fan of me or wants to connect or chat or get erotic content from me, but just to learn from me the way I've learned from other mm. creators that I've subscribed to just to like, see like, Oh, how often do they do giveaways? How often do they send mass messages? How totally. often do they chat? You know, and like what just, I don't know. I'm just curious. Like how do, how do people run and learn? And I'm always learning. Um, so, and I'm, you know, as long as I'm doing this, I want to maximize the business that I'm building for myself. And so I'm, I do still actively subscribe to some other creators. Um, but yeah, I don't really know if any women subscribe to me because they, um, just like to, I don't know, flirt or crush on me, luster, connect with me. I don't know. There's only one, like I said, that I know of, um, that I have chatted with and engaged with and I'm totally cool with it. I like it. It was fun. It was different. Um, but yeah. (laughs) Um, you talked about your relationship. You're in a relationship. You're happily taken. I'm curious if your status as being happily taken has influenced your perspective on love, um, on relationships and personal Mm. fulfillment. 
Um, I, I'm very comfortable being alone and I lived alone for many years. I I'm so grateful that I was able to give that gift to myself. Um, even if I was in relationships, I lived alone, but eventually like I, so I've always, I've been more of like a serial monogamous. Um, mm. I've been like non-monogamy curious and that's like a whole other podcast episode probably, <laughs> but, um, but no, like at, at my core, uh, I, I love, I, I think I would just be too stressful trying to maintain more than one relationship at a time. That just sounds very exhausting to me. It's the whole mm. like poly thing it's, to me. It sounds like I like, I like certain expressions of ethical non-monogamy that I'm like, Oh, I think I could do that and have fun with that. But they're mm. very particular as everyone's are. I've never met one ethically monogamous couple that had the exact same set of boundaries and standards. But so yeah, just saying I've tended to be in monogamous long-term relationships. The shortest relationship mm. I think I've ever had was three years, which for some people is like a long time. Um, but for me being in the relationship that I'm in now, um, it's definitely the healthiest, easiest relationship. And I know you talked about this on one of your podcasts recently about ease and the importance of ease in that connection. And I think that um, I deeply resonated with with that clip. I haven't, I haven't gotten to finish the whole episode yet. But um, for me, when I met Ryan, my, my fiance, my partner now, um, it was so easy. And that's always one of the first things when people ask me about our relationship that I say, it's like, it's just so easy. Like he's so, it's, so calm. And for mm. some reason, a lot of equate that with boring or passionless. And I suppose I can understand that, but it does not feel that way to us. Um, yeah. Usually, and I've been asked directly more than once um, if because we have such a calm, a generally calm, peaceful relationship, if our sex life suffers for that in any way, because I think a lot of people mm. conflate passion and drama with like passionate sex. And it's like, yeah. I don't, I, maybe that is the norm. I, I don't know. I've only been in my relationships, but that's not the case for us. Um, we have yeah. great passionate sex and also a really calm relationship and uh, mm. very supportive. It's not to say that it's free of conflict, always, but they're so minimal. Um, we're so compatible. And I think part of that is because we both have been in lots of relationships before. And so when we connected on a dating app, um, in the beginning of 2020, like peak pandemic lockdown times, we've met on a dating app. And, uh, I think we both approached each other with so much self-awareness that we'd already accrued over so many years, Mm. you know, being in our late thirties, it's like we came in, we approached each other with so much, a well of self-knowledge about our own selves and what we wanted, what we didn't want. And I know speaking for myself, I won't speak for him, but speak for myself. I, I had never been on dating apps before. I was on it for maybe six weeks total from when I started to when I connected with Ryan to when we were just like exclusive. So I I can't speak to the bad side of dating apps that I know Mm. is there because I see friends go through it all the time. That was not my experience. The experience I wanted to have on dating apps was cut to the chase, 
bottom line. Here's what I am looking for. Here are my deal breakers. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. Do you feel like you fit this box? Cool. Hit me up. I approached yeah. it, I approach it from a mindset of like, I have nothing to lose. This is great. I, I understand why I a lot that. of people don't like dating apps, but I had so much fun while I was on there. Like maybe I would have gotten disenchanted eventually, but I loved the freedom. First of all, the safety. I'm not physically being mm. hit on. We're engaging right. in witty fun banter over like DMs basically. And that's my comfort yeah. zone. Like I love right. that. I love writing and I love receiving people through writing. And uh, I, so I, I had a very, my approach was very like, I have nothing to lose. Um, I'm not actually thinking I'm going to find someone serious on here. I'm mostly just trying to like get my flirt on while I'm in lockdown, living with my parents during COVID. (laughs) uh, But I I did meet someone and, um, and yeah, it was like, we connected right away over so many different things. And um, he's also an INTJ. I've never dated my own Myers-Briggs type before. Um, And, and like a lot of people are, are like, Oh, I, you know, you shouldn't like, you need to have balance. I'm like, no, this is great for us. <laughs> this is great. Trust me. We dated other. This is great. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's like, it, I don't know. Like it's, it's very, it just was so natural and easy with him. And mm-hmm. we both had been in relationships that might be described as dramatic, traumatic. Um, I think where, where I hear people describe relationships as having drama I was just here trauma. That sounds so cliche and hackneyed to say out loud because it rhymes, but like, it's true. I've, I've observed. And, um, I think it's, it's not about finding someone who's free of traumas. It's about finding someone whose traumas are compatible in a health growing way to your own, not in a way that repeats the traumas, not in a way that repeats mm-hmm. a cycle that you've learned is unhealthy for you, but in a way that is met, understood, held, supported, and encouraged to a place of growth and peace. And that's what I feel like I've found. Um, and it's priceless to me. And, and so it shapes it, it. I feel so much freer to continue exploring the world with Ryan there with me because I have such a security in our relationship. And I know from the way that you and Adam talk about each other, you you can relate to this too, but there's such a security and um, anchor in that, mm-hmm. that I feel mm-hmm. so free to explore parts of myself and others that I never did um, until I was in what feels like a very compatible relationship for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the first relationship I've been in where like I couldn't see the end at the beginning. Um, and I just thought that was me for a long time until I met Ryan. I thought, oh, well, I'm just a really, I, I really must just be a cynical person. Cause like, I guess this is just what love is. Like, I, I don't know. I just thought like, I've never known anything different. So I guess it's just normal. Right. And you know, everyone's a mixed bag and everyone can see the end of the relationship at the beginning. Um, and they just choose to do it anyway, which is what I did. And I'm so mm. glad I did that. I'm so, I, I still ha- have so much love for all of my exes. I'm on good terms with all of them. Um, and I love them all dearly, you know, but like I, I, and I, I, maybe I'm able to say that because I, you know, nothing terrible, bad, wrong ever really happened that, you know, we, we parted ways because of incompatibilities, not because of mistreatment. Um, Mm. but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a worldview changer to be in a relationship that 
I always heard people describe it as like it, it expands you when you're in the right relationship. It frees you mm-hmm. to, you know, expand yourself even more. And I was like, huh? I don't know if I've experienced that. Like I'd like to, I just don't know. I don't know if it's me, if it's that, but now I know what they're talking about. And yeah, it's like, Oh yeah, I get that. Like I feel a lot more full and free to be who I am Mm. with him right now. And we're both extremely detrimentally pragmatic. Um, we're getting mm-hmm. married with a prenup. Like we're, we both know life changes, <laughs> but that's what makes that. me feel so safe with him because it's like, yeah. I, that's why I am able to be calm with him because I trust that he's a realist, like the way I think of myself as in a compatible way where it's like, we're not, everyone has illusions that they carry, but I'm feel grateful that everlasting monogamous love isn't one of mine or his. It's like, no, we know life changes. We've changed relationships change, but boy, are we having fun together? And this is what we intend together. And, uh, for as long as we can, it's valuable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Adam and I always said that, like we've always said that divorce is always on the table. It's like our version. We didn't get a prenup, but it's like our version of just reminding each other that like this this isn't, doesn't have to be forever. This doesn't have to be the reality. Like we're choosing to be in this every single day, whether that sounds like a good thing or a bad thing. It's just honestly to us, it's a freeing thing. It's like, no, it's our choice. And this is a great, like I'm currently loving our choice and that's a good feeling. Totally. I think it's so much more romantic, (laughs) that type of pragmatism, because it's like, you're still choosing me. You know, you're free to leave or end this or walk away, but, and there's nothing tying you to me. You know, we don't, we're not bound by finances or kids or anything like that. It's like, no, it is an actual like choice, choice practically and intellectually and emotionally. So it's like, it's, it's really romantic, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay. So I, have I have more questions, but I'm running out of time because I have an appointment okay. to get to. Um, okay. <laughs> and I I'm sad I'm sad because this has never happened to me before to where I ran out of time for my questions. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, let me see because I have yeah I have five more questions. Okay. <laughs> um, so okay, are you ready for this rapid fire? Yes, okay. yes, yes. All right. What advice would you give to those who are on a similar journey of leaving religion and seeking their own path to fulfillment and pleasure? Stop asking for other people's advice or input or insight and learn to ask yourself and to trust the answers that come from yourself. Mm, That's a good one. Love that. Okay. The intersection of spirituality and pleasure. Can you discuss how these elements coexist in your life journey? Maybe not discuss, maybe just shoot them straight. (laughs) Yes. In short, pleasure is my spirituality. Pleasure Mm. is my spiritual practice. I was recently on the Preacher Boys podcast and someone said in the comments of the episode, like, oh, she's just left one religion for another. And I was like, which religion did I leave for? And they were like, hedonism. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. Hedonism is my religion. Spirituality is my pleasure. I love that. See, that's, that's, that's how I feel about curiosity in the realm of shifting cultural landscapes. What specific changes or trends do you find most intriguing or concerning? Lots. (laughs) That might have to be a longer answer for another episode, but in short, I would say the evolution of the English language and how Mm. 
people can no longer agree that words or definitions are what they are. And yes, languages have always evolved and changed, but I feel like because of the internet, and I'm not judging this as a good or bad thing, but because of the internet, it's just changing rapid fire pace. And Mm -hmm. we're no longer able to understand or have compassion for other points of view because words are symbols and there means something totally different to us. Kind of like what we were talking about, uh, the definition of spirituality earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that that's happening to many, many things. And I think that it is detrimental and concerning and understandable and obvious. Of course, it was going to go that way with the internet. (laughs) Yeah. But we could get into them at another time. I'd love to keep going. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great answer. I, I've also found that words, like language, is a prison. Sometimes, like I love words. I I, I love words. As somebody who writes, like I find so much pleasure in in crafting them together and curating words together to describe what I mean and feel. But at the same time, they are also a prison. So I, I completely agree with you there. Okay, as a writer provocateur. (laughs) How do you navigate the fine line between challenging cultural norms and expressing your own views? By asking myself, is this something that I really feel needs to be said? And if so, why? And pending that answer, what is the effect I want my sharing of this perspective to have? So the nutshell Mm. version of that would just be to be constantly aware and in integrity with my motives. That's how I determine whether or not I'm going to comment on something or share my perspective on something is only if I'm crystal fucking clear within my own self, what my motives are and what the effect is that I hope to have. It doesn't always mean mm. it goes out that way. It just means that I know right. where I'm coming from. That's really good. That's actually really good advice just for anyone in general. Like when even creating <laughs> anything, when, as soon as you post anything to the internet, it's like, do you, do you know yourself enough? Like, cause the world's going to have a perspective of you there. Yeah. You can't control how they're going to see you, the story they're going to create in their heads about you. You yeah. have to know yourself, trust yourself, know your motive, know who you are. So that at the end of the day, if the world turns on you, you got your own back. And that, that sounds totally. pessimistic, but like, it's, it's just, we can't in this day, like if we just listen to what everybody's perspective is, like we're going to get lost in the sauce. Like you will, I personally have forgotten my motives before I have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Like if I've posted something and through people's commentary back to at me, I literally forgot why I even shared it. Like, I'm like, what's what, mm-hmm. what am I even trying to say here? And that's, a, that's a very chilling, scary feeling. And I don't wish that mm-hmm. upon anyone. Cause then you're just so uncomfortable in your own body. And like with yourself, you're like, why do I even do this? Like, am I a bitch? Am I, you know, <laughs> condescending? Am I like you question and like, you have to like yourself. Mm-hmm. Could you share a snippet about your writing process and how you decide uh, what topics to explore in your think pieces? I choose to write and publicly share the things that don't really feel like a choice that feel more like Mm. a compulsion. Like, no, I have to. And I know why I feel like I have to. I know I don't have to actually, but I know why Mm. I feel compelled um, to share this. And those are the pieces that I'm usually most scared to post. They're the pieces Mm -hmm. that usually end up meaning the most to the people who find them. And um, that's one barometer. There's, I'd say I only share publicly about 10% of what I write. I keep Mm. so much in a draft or just in my journal 
on my computer, whatever. Like I actually don't share most of what I write. So wow. uh, readers can trust that if I've published it, I've given it so much thought, even Love if it's that. about a current event. Some people might think, oh, she didn't have time. It's like, no, there's always years and years of base layers of accumulated pattern observation and data that I'm drawing mm -hmm. from to be able to make this opinion and share it in this way, relating it to these current things. But really, I know there's an ocean of depth where this one opinion on this one topic came from. So, right. yeah, I'd say only about 10% of what I write actually gets out there for public uh, consumption. And wow. I write for me first and foremost, always have. If people want to read the few things that I do share publicly, cool. That's a lot of writing. That's, yeah, because you don't write <laughs> the short little 500 word like <laughs> articles either. Like that's a lot of writing. No, it is. And I, I edit extensively too. Like if a blog post is 4,500 words, there's about at least twice that that was cut. <laughs> at least. Okay. This is going to be the last question. Okay. How do you find a balance between embracing pleasure as a guiding principle and navigating the challenges that may come with societal expectations? Oh, by just choosing to care more about me than I care about societal expectations. Um, <laughs> period. <laughs> period. And scene. <laughs> Mic drop. Yeah. It's amazing. And that is Alice Gretchen. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, that was a great question to end on. Um, I, I love, I love where this went. I love that. I, I truly wrote more questions for you than I have for anyone else because I just wanted to get into every crevice of your mind um Thanks. and you're just amazing <laughs> I think you're so lovely you know I think that um and so tell the I listeners the the curious cuties uh where they can find you and connect with you and read your your musings so uh my Instagram is just at Alice Gretchen it's just my name and I have a link in bio where you can find my my blog my book um, my spicy spice, my random whatever else is on that link. Um, but yeah, like, and also just alicegretchen.com. Um, because, you know, Instagram may ban me one of these days. They love to do that to people who uh, make spice. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so yeah, Instagram or just alicegretchen.com is where people can find me. And Lauren, thank you again so much for this conversation, for having me on as a guest again. It's always such a delight. And I can't wait until we can do this in person and delve further into rapid fire question number three or four, whatever that was about the things that are changing in society. Oh, yes, like we yes. We'll have, we could literally, yeah. that could be like the only topic and then we just <laughs> okay. go from there. I, I honestly feel like we could. Um, yes, well, okay. I'm so glad you could do this today. Thank you so much. Um, and to everyone listening, thank you. Love you guys. Until next time, stay curious. Love you, bye.